Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today on the program, we'll be talking again about race in America. We'll be responding, of course, to the killing of nine people in the manual African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, as well as the killing of Walter Scott in North Charleston. These deaths are tragically just the latest in a series of recent killings of African Americans. We'll be talking with the Reverend Franz Davis, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Salt Lake City. The Reverend Davis participated in the civil rights movement, marching, for example, from Selma to Montgomery to promote voting rights for African Americans. We'll also be talking with Muhyiddin Debaha, organizer of Black Lives Matter Charleston. And we'll be joined by Jason Gilmer, assistant professor of communication studies at Utah State University. Uh, Reverend Davis, uh, let me welcome you in. Uh, thanks for joining the program. My pleasure. Appreciate you being with us. We want to get uh, your reaction. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this as we go along. Muhyiddin Debaha in uh, Charleston, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. And uh, Jason Gilmore, Assistant Professor of Communication Studies at Utah State University, joins us from Mexico, I believe. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. Where, where are you in Mexico? Uh, I'm in a small town called Guanajuato, Mexico. Okay, on uh, vacation? What are, you, what are you doing out there? Uh, I'm a scholar of international global communication, so I'm down here doing some research on oh. uh, kind of cultural issues here in Mexico. Okay. Professor Gilmore, uh, you and I have talked on uh, on some of these issues before, and uh, and uh, he joins me in the, in the role of, of uh, co-host. We'll have him uh, pose some questions as we uh, go along here. Let me start with Mohyuddin Debaja. Uh, it, it's been several days now. This this is hard to process, I think, for, for all of us. Uh I think all the funerals have have been held. Yeah, our dead have been buried. Um, so now the, the organizing begins um, to deal with this kind of terrorism in a way that is empowering uh, to the community is something very difficult, especially when it continues with the church fires uh, that we're also dealing with now. Yeah, it's 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 tragic. You you're uh you're calling it terrorism. It's the same thing we've been experiencing for about 400 years. Mm. A community that is not secure and is being breached in places that should be safe and the the experience is violation and terror. So as these deaths keep happening, these incidents keep happening. What's the what's the mood there in in Charleston? Um, there's a lot of sadness, you know. There's a lot of grief. Uh, there's a lot of prayer. Um, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of disorientation. And um, to be honest, you know, there's a lot of uh, people that are confused about where to go next and how to go. Um, I'll just speak for our organization and the community that we're around and the community we organize with the youth. Uh, we are not going to allow this to continue for another generation. So um, all hands are on deck, and we're getting ready to, to defend ourselves in, in whatever means we have to. I'm going to follow up with that as we go along. I want to bring in the Reverend uh, Frats Davis, Calvary Baptist Church. You have you have a long perspective on this. You you marched in the civil rights movement. You knew Dr. King. What uh, what are your initial reaction to the to the shootings in in Charleston? Well, I'm uh, certainly uh, shocked that uh, in these 2015 years we haven't come any further than we have in terms of uh, gun violence and uh, violence against uh, people because of their particular skin color. And then, of course, uh, to have this happen in a church is even more uh, sad. The uh, churches are known as sanctuaries, and that ought to be a place of safety. Uh, so I wonder, uh, so you've talked about gun violence. Do you, do you think one of the things that ought to happen in the aftermath here is, is uh, tougher rules on gun control? Well, I think we ought to take a look at uh, gun control. I think we do have the amendment rights that uh, allow us to have them, but I think we need to take a look again at uh, what we can do to keep them out of the hands of people who are deranged and uh, have uh, particular problems and mental issues. Hmm. 
uh, as you you made reference to this, and I'm I'm sure it resonated with you, uh, especially this, this happened in a church, happened at Bible study. Absolutely. I mean, and then uh, for it to happen with a person who sat there for a while before uh, carrying out the act uh, makes it even more egregious. Hmm. We turn to Jason Gilmore. Uh, first question to you is: is I don't know how long you've been there in Mexico. It, has this gotten made the news, and is continued to be in the news in Mexico? Uh, yeah, actually, it's uh, it's been in the news quite a bit down here. Um, definitely not at the level that it has up there. Um, but the interesting thing is is that it's it's creating conversations down here uh, about issues of human difference uh, and racial differences uh, as well in in kind of the Mexican context. Uh, so it's it's definitely getting international play, um, and as 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 it kind of always has, the United States has always kind of set this example of social movements. Uh, so you can definitely see the 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 effects of it throughout the news here, as well as in people's reactions to it. Mm. Now you uh, you took a group of students just this past um, just a few months ago, right, uh, on a pilgrimage of sorts to uh, you know, civil rights monuments and, and places. In part, I'm guessing that, that was a celebration of, of progress. And then, then, we, then we have killings like, like this. I wonder what your reaction is. Well, I think uh, the reason that we take students uh, down to the South to kind of re- to visit the civil rights movements, uh, the, the monuments, the, the places, is not necessarily just to kind of commemorate the progress that we've made, although, you know, in, in President Obama's speech uh, there in Selma, he talks about we need to definitely recognize the progress that we've made, um, but that, that can't make us think that there's not so much work yet to be done, uh, which is, I think, one of the major reasons why we, why we go on these pilgrimages down to the south is to, to remind ourselves of of what's going on today, or how much everybody kind of thought everything had finished, and then we realize that these these are not issues that that just get kind of uh, swept away with one amendment or or one law. Uh, that th- these are deeply embedded uh, issues in the country, and I think those are those are many of the issues that we talk about when we go down south. Reverend Davis, I wonder. Uh... Uh, has there been progress made? <laughs> and but but is there danger if we congratulate ourselves? And uh, you know, that still maybe don't Along see the progress still to be made. Making sure that there was uh, some uh, progress in terms of elected officials. I think uh, educationally we've made uh, some great inroads, but at the same time, that means we still have a tremendous way continue to go. Vigilance for the future is uh, paramount. We have to uh, remain vigilant. And uh, somebody has said wisely that rights are not uh, granted, but they have to be taken. Hmm. Let me turn back to Muhyiddin uh, Debaka. Uh, you you have said, I saw this in an interview in, uh, on Democracy Now!, and you've just said it again here, and I, I feel a, a resolve from you. Uh, this is not going to continue to happen. Um, what uh, what action do you do you think ought to be taken? What action are you going to be taking? Well, we're organizing in a couple different ways. Uh, the community organizing piece, uh, we're actually getting uh, ourselves uh, situated for church defense here in particular. We're also doing some really great conversation circles and convenings in which people are starting to bring... Um, folks that have a white supremacist ideology uh, to these meetings um, so we can have safe places to, to meet this beast as it lives within individual minds. But we're also articulating four different campaigns that we're having the community kind of rally around uh, in which we can uh, access the institutional and structural um, policies that create and sustain and reproduce social inequity and then look at the people that actually uh, reauthorize or omit or um, uh, 
translate policies in such a way that um, the impact is, is detrimental upon the community of color. And then we're also on the ground level doing a voter registration to identify those people and those policies so we can strategically uh, continue this, this civil rights movement into something more of a civil equality. And so we want to move up uh, our, our discourse into a way um, where we don't have to be concerned with what the policy says as much as we are being concerned and articulating how it's being implemented and how it's affecting the communities of color here. And so we're vigilant on those fronts, and, and then that's the above-ground work. And the below-ground work, of course, I can't share. The the, the below-ground work um, you can't share. Okay. okay. Uh, can you give us any hints? This is a this is a social movement, mm-hmm. um, and things have to move above ground and below ground. Mm, okay. um, there has to be a coordination of those that work in office and those that can convene uh, in ways that that are, are not um, alerting the defenses of white supremacists and those that that believe in white supremacy. And below ground, we have to do our work in, in identifying. Uh, where and who those people are and mm. uh, how it's operating. And so we're blessed to exist in an age where we have a, a lot of connectivity and we have people on our side that can use the, that connectivity just as well as uh, our, our, our policing authorities. And so we're, we're confident that we'll be making inroads. I want to follow up with one of the, the, the points of your plan to, if I understood it correctly, bring people who hold white supremacist views, bring them, what, into dialogue? What uh, What's the plan? Yeah, it's, it's been a very creative experience that we've had so far. Um, so we'll go into places where, where we know um, this is a couple of clubs uh, that we know uh, have people uh, of that kind of viewpoint, and uh, we draw them into like a, a country concert and whatnot, and then we bring in people that don't look like them into the same space, and and we we try to have uh, not necessarily a discussion, but more of a a, a play back and forth between uh, arguments, uh, our debates. Uh, what we're also finding is that the the people that are believers in white supremacy are. are um, uh, have a distorted worldview, um, and that worldview is actually causing them pain also, and to not allowing them to have a connection with other human beings. And so uh, the ones that we're really focusing on is my generation. It's about 35 and under, uh, specifically around the, the 20, 30 crowd, where we can really uh, use music as venues to really pull everybody into one space and then the people that are offended by us um, using art forms of having the confederate flag but having it have a black fist in in the middle of it uh, are are images like that that will provoke discussion without trying to to force people to hug and love each other or anything like that we just want to understand uh, why why there's an issue We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, talk more about this very important issue. We're responding to the uh, killing of uh, nine people in the Emanuel AME uh, Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Of course, the killing of Walter Scott by a police officer in North Charleston. And these deaths are tragically just the latest in a series of recent killings of African Americans. So we're talking with Muhyiddin Debaha, organizer with Black Lives Matter Charleston. We're talking with the Reverend France Davis, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Salt Lake City. He's also a professor and lecturer at University of Utah. And we have what's on the line from Mexico, Jason Gilmore, assistant professor of communication studies at Utah State University. As we go along, we're talking about symbols, and specifically the uh, Confederate flag, which has been in the news, of course. We'll uh, take a look at Utah. Could something like this happen in Utah? Uh, and we'll talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, uh, all of that following the break. Uh, you can join us here. We'd uh, love to know what you think. 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. Or upraxis at gmail.com. 
programming on Utah Public Radio was made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, proudly celebrating its 40th anniversary, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement in the humanities. Details at utahhumanities.org. Next time on Living on Earth, water from glaciers is the key to hydropower in the Pacific Northwest. Having glaciers provides stability to our water supply. So if you get into mid late July and that snow is melted out of the mountains, uh, if it weren't for glaciers, our stream flow would drop pretty dramatically. But the glaciers are retreating fast. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're talking about issues of race in America, and uh, the, the the shootings keep happening. Um, it, it's just hard to respond to. We're, we're doing our best today on the program, and we're talking with Muhayyidin Debaha, organizer rather with Black Lives Matter Charleston. We're talking with the Reverend Franz Davis, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Salt Lake City. He's a veteran of the civil rights movement. Uh, one piece of his biography, and we're talking with Jason Gilmore, Assistant Professor of Communication Studies at Utah State University as well. He's joining us from Mexico. Uh, if you have a question or comment, we would love to hear from you at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, or our toll-free number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Reverend Davis, I was, was reading your biography on the University of Utah website, just a brief biography, and I was remembering, I had known this vaguely, as you were pushing for um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day to become an official state holiday, uh, your church office was was fired upon. Thankfully, no one was was injured in that that incident. Uh, that got me thinking: What could something like what happened in Charleston could that happen in Utah today? Do you think? Yeah, one of the uh, tragedies of this whole uh, set of incidents that's been happening recently in our society with the shootings of African-Americans, is that uh, it is not restricted to any particular area, that it could happen in Utah and has happened in Utah as much as it has in other places. Uh, My office had uh, bullet holes in it for my being active and trying to pursue uh, the kind of changes that would benefit us all. And uh, we never found out... uh, who did it or uh, why. So Utah is susceptible as well. Hmm. Where does this come from? We, we've learned that there's a website connected to the to the shooter here um, that, that, that has, you know, some uh, white supremacist beliefs on it. Um, so is that where we lay the blame? Where did it lay the blame to all of us? Where, where do you lay the blame for this? Well, in my view, uh, we have dealt with legal aspects of our problems as a society, but we have not yet gotten attitudes so that they are conducive to everybody being safe and having a, having a, the same level of welcome and acceptance as others have. So I think we still have some attitudinal problems the teachings that are happening in different uh, segments of our community, some of it in churches, by the way, where the Bible is used uh, and other religious materials are used to justify uh, the kinds of actions that are happening in our community. We also have those who are teaching it and promoting it, the training camps that are around the country whose uh, primary job is to prepare and train militia-type people. We had it promoted on uh, a radio station here in the state of Utah where they were going to move the Aryan Nation's headquarters to our area. Hmm. And, of course, uh, you know, close here, northern Idaho is uh, hosts some, uh, some of those close. groups. Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. close, and they, were, they proposed moving their headquarters to Ogden, Utah, uh, some years ago. And we were able to get that uh, turned around. How do you respond to, to groups like that? Do you, I mean, of course, First Amendment rights, do you, you know, shout them down? Do you try to have, uh, you know, engage them like like Black Lives Matter in Charleston is trying to do? What, what? How do you respond? 
Well, what we did was, uh, in fact, uh, since they were using the media, is that we decided to uh, deal with the advertisers, with the people who were funding it. And we believe that uh, one of the best tools is to change uh, the funding uh, sources or to get rid of the funding sources. Second one is to educate. Let me turn to Muhyiddin Dibaka. Um, and in another interview that I was uh, hearing with you, you talked about uh, the fact that uh, the, the shooter in this case and uh, the officer who uh, who shot um, Walter Scott uh, and, and others, they come from the same soil. You called it the same soil. I wonder if you could expand on that. This, this is the atmosphere, I guess, you're talking about. Most definitely, most definitely. And so... Down south here, we're, we're in the heart of the Confederacy, of course, in South Carolina, the annex secessionist kind of state. And so we, we have the distinct honor of having uh, fathers of the Confederacy that believe that um, the black race and the white race was not only different, but that the white race was superior and the black race was inferior. And we have to understand that that belief was a formation of the whole Confederacy, of the whole Southern Confederate government. And so the laws, practices, policies, and procedures that were created were created out of that kind of worldview and mindset. So it necessitated an unequal social order uh, being created in which people were born into. Now, as we're born into social orders like that, we find that um, the subtle messages can come through things like gentrification, through things like unequal schooling, through things like economic disadvantage, uh, through things like unfair policing and mass incarceration. All of a sudden, we are finding confirmations within our, with, even within our statistics of black inferiority and white superiority. And so we are all existing within that soil. It just so happens the soil of white supremacy is a lot harder to detect because um, black inferiority are the statistics that we see in our face all of the time. Mm. That's what, uh, in part, what you were talking about. It's uh, perhaps with today's technology, maybe a little easier to detect. Go out and find, find these people and try to engage. Most definitely. Well, the way that we approach white supremacy, again, it's a system of belief that there's black inferiority and white superiority. And so if you read some of the articles of the Confederation, uh, it talks about how there is a subordinate group of human race that are supposed to be subjugated into slavery because of their inferior being. To understand that, that's the attitude that has been infiltrated and, and has really uh, seeped into a lot of our social institutions. It has not changed, not one bit. We've created policies to try to alter that, but it doesn't alter the attitude when, in effect, the communities are still experiencing black inferiority and white superiority. And so we don't look at white supremacy uh, as... Um, uh, people that have to have white skin, our European background. We look at white supremacy as people that believe in white superiority and black inferiority. And so there are people of African descent that have taken on white supremacy belief without that understanding. And so the depth at which we're doing our work within those kind of conversation circles uh, concerns uh, an ideological attitude more so than a person that is uh, subscribing to a particular um, belief in a, in a symbol. Really? So you've encountered people of African descent who have taken on some of these beliefs? That's, 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 that's depressing. Well, white, white, white supremacy is, it works in such a way that black people will feel inferior to white people because they were taught that mm. for so long. Okay. So if you take something like the talk that is had um, as we are growing up, where our parents might tell us, this is how you act when the police is pulling you over, this is how you talk when you go to school, this is how you adjust your being in order to accommodate um, a, a white overseer or the white overseer culture. Mm. And so unfortunately, it's something that is so indoctrinated, it's so subtle 
that a lot of us are carrying the black inferiority and the white superiority complex within ourselves. We have not moved along uh, fast enough in our culture to keep up with the wording of our policy. I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I understand uh, better now. Let me turn back to uh, uh, Jason Gilmore. Uh, first of all, your your general reaction to what we've said so far, and then I'll invite you to uh, to pose a question or two to our, our guests. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm quite intrigued um, by this idea of a worldview that's perpetuated uh, quite a bit by the symbols um, that are dominant around the culture, especially in the South. Um, the South definitely kind of keeps coming out as this kind of example of, of uh, where we can really see these, these explicit and not implicit uh, expressions of racism and whatnot. Uh, but I, I actually, one thing that I'm, I'm quite intrigued about is that now we have the, the discussion about whether we should take down the Confederate flag from uh, the Capitol grounds. Um, but we were in Selma, Alabama this past year, and the bridge that is marched across is the Edmund Pettus Bridge, named after a grand uh, dragon of the Alabama KKK. Um, and there's this discussion, and maybe I'll pose this to the, the two guests, is there's this discussion about do we take down these symbols or do we leave them there as, uh, you know, something as an educational point so that, um, you know, we learn from this so that it doesn't happen again. But there's that kind of interplay about whether these, the fact that these symbols, the, the naming of the streets after Confederate soldiers and generals, um, whether that's perpetuating these ideas and these worldviews, uh, or whether they can be used as educational uh, points. And I guess I'll pose that to Mr. DeBaha to begin with, considering you're down there now. Um, so how do you address the fact that, A, there's the flag on the, the, the capital of South Carolina, but the Georgia flag uh, is modeled after the first flag of the Confederacy. Uh, the Mississippi flag still has... Uh, the Confederate battle flag in, ingrained. How do you address the the multitude of symbols uh, that are going on that are you know just kind of so evident uh, in society down there? Well, there's there's an educational process, of course, um, and then there's the the reality that we have to speak of today. And so the the phrase that we come up against a lot is it's heritage and it's not hate, and it is in fact heritage for some people. But that heritage has hate within it, and that hate was not um, explicitly stated. It was actually stated as fact. There's Alexander Stevens. He was a vice president of the Confederate States of America. And in his cornerstone speech, uh, he said, Our new government, its foundations is laid upon, its cornerstones rest upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery so subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. This is our new government. This is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. And so we have to understand that these symbols uh, represent this understanding. These are the great forefathers of the Confederacy that held this belief that created these symbols and flags. I would venture to guess, though, uh, unfortunately, that most of the people that are defending the flag uh, and these symbols have no idea of the origins of what those symbols mean. And so there's a deep education process um, that really needs to happen in a, in a much more um, concerted way uh, in which uh, both sides start to understand that this is our shared history. It's a shared experience, but we have to move on. Now, does moving on mean erasing those symbols? I don't know. Does moving on mean being able to have a deeper conversation of how the symbols and the ideologies are still affecting our present social order? I think that's a more pertinent conversation, considering we've had seven church burnings since uh, the Mother Emanuel Massacre. Mm. Thing that I would just add, this is Reverend Davis, is that uh, the state house is the people's house, and for us to have this symbol uh, flying and being hung there and used there uh, suggests something about who the people are, and it, by far it leaves out a tremendous number 
of the citizens of the com- of the state of the community. Thank you, uh, Jason. Do you have uh, another question, perhaps? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I think this idea of of worldviews and changing worldviews and addressing, um, you know, especially people with, um, as you said, a white supremacist worldview, uh, but just talking with people uh, who are not directly uh, implicated, not, or, or not directly uh, targeted, I guess is a better way of saying this. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about how do we address many of white Americans who, who would prefer not to have this conversation. Um, you know, how is it, what are kind of some strategic ways um, that we can have a conversation with people who feel, uh, you know, either threatened by the, uh, by the messages. How do we have that conversation in a, in a lasting, kind of effective manner? Uh, since I started with Mr. DeBaja last time, maybe I'll direct this uh, to uh, Reverend Davis. Well, we have to start, I believe, with the history and make sure we've got all of the history, not uh, as uh, was just demonstrated. There's some people who just don't know the origins of many of the symbols that we use and their purpose and how they were defined. And so we've got to start with a good education of uh, what these things mean in order to have the conversation. And then I think we have to invite those of goodwill to join us in the conversation, uh, regardless of their backgrounds, their thoughts, and their beliefs, so that we can then have a reasonable interaction that uh, hopefully will find some uh, ground for uh, for coming together. And uh, uh, Mr. DeBaja, what uh, what's your reaction? Uh, I would definitely echo the sense of the educational piece. Um, I think that's very important. Again, we share a, a very conflated history uh, with the, the Mexican border and with the Spanish influence and with the Native American influence or the first people influence. And down here with the Gullah Geechee people, the West Africans that came to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, uh, and the European Americans. There's so much uh, of that of that story that we have not heard yet. How did our, our our different cultures mix and mingle? How did we uh, decide to change uh, the tides of certain social uh, situations? Who was playing a part within different social movements? There's a rich heritage of pluralism that is already here, um, the embryo of what the world can be, uh, with people coming together of all different backgrounds, it's here upon this soil, and, and a lot of those thoughts and actions have already uh, been been played out. It's just, again, that we don't know. We're not connected with that kind of history. I would venture to say that the reason that we are not connected with it is uh, because there's not an interest uh, in the power structure of today to see that kind of uh, togetherness of the populace. Uh, but I feel like there's much more of an interest in keeping us polarized into racial categories and class categories because it's easier to manage a people that are fragmented. Uh, I would venture to say that it's easier to advertise to groups of people that are fragmented in particular categories and forced into self-identifications that might not at all be how they would uh, self-identify. So we, again, have... Uh, social structures that are replicating white supremacy and the white normative gaze that uh, associates and projects uh, different identities onto people uh, based upon uh, the ability to to dictate what language everybody should speak and uh, what language uh, will get you access to a job and, and what kind of behaviors uh, and attitudes will, will allow you to succeed within the society. So uh, there, there's some more fundamental issues around uh, power and, and class uh, that have always colored this race conversation. Let's take another break. When we come back, our final segment uh, on, on this important issue, race in America. We are responding, of course, to the killing of uh, nine people at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, the killing of Walter Scott in North Charleston, 
And these deaths are tragically just the latest in a series of recent killings of African Americans. We're talking with the Reverend France Davis, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, with Muhyiddin Debacha, organizer with Black Lives Matter Charleston. And we're joined by Jason Gilmore, Assistant Professor of Communication Studies at Utah State University. If you have a question or comment, we'd love to accommodate that. 1-800-826-1495 is the toll-free number, and our email is upraxcess at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter. Find us at Utah Public Radio. More following the break. You want to create jobs, you've got to be clear what you mean. I said, please, please be mindful that you can't just say the SBA is coming in to help. Do you understand that many businesses won't know what you're talking about? I'm Kai Rizdal, Baltimore, and it's Job Strategy next time on Marketplace from APM. That's later tonight at 7 here on Utah Public Radio. What was the happiest moment in your life and why? How do you want to be remembered? Has your life been different than what you might have imagined? What are your dreams for me? These are questions you can ask a loved one, a friend, or someone who's made a difference in your life when you join Utah Public Radio in Vernal for the Uinta Basin StoryCorps project throughout the month of July. Registration information is available at upr.org. Uinta Basin StoryCorps. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're talking about uh, the important issue of race in America, responding to uh, deaths of uh, recent deaths of uh, 10 people in the Charleston area. Uh, and uh, of course, this comes on the heels of uh, much publicized uh, shootings, many of these involving police that uh, have just been coming at us in waves. Uh, so we're trying to grapple with this on, on the program just an hour here. And we have about uh, oh, 10 minutes left in the program. We're talking with Reverend France Davis, pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, with Muhyiddin Debacha, organizer of Black, uh, with uh, Black Lives Matter of Charleston. And uh, we are joined uh, from Mexico by Jason Gilmore, assistant professor of communication studies at Utah State University. I want to turn uh, first in this segment to Mr. Debacha. Uh, there was a, a kind of a little, uh, I don't know, a, a tempest, kind of a brief thing. Presidential candidate uh, Hillary Clinton uh, gave a speech in the in the wake of the the shootings, um, and at the uh, and it was about well received. But at the end, uh, she uh, I don't know whether it's purposeful or whether she got it wrong. Instead of uh, uttering the, the the phrase "Black Lives Matter," she said "All Lives Matter," and of course both phrases are true. But there's there's symbolism there. I wonder if you could talk about that. Yeah, most definitely. So there's a concerted effort, and it'll keep on coming. Uh, to to uh, put forth an all lives matter uh, paradigm uh, in in response to the Black Lives Matter affirmation, I think uh, the the piece that most of us uh, are not understanding is Black Lives Matter is an affirmation of Black autonomy, self definition, and self defense, and so it's not anti anybody else's humanity; it's pro Black humanity, and. To say all lives matter, it's almost like a dismissive um, uh, occurrence of of the movement for uh, black lives and our humanities and and our ability to be self-defining. So we'll be counteracting that uh, with our own media and and our own understandings, uh, but we, we expect a lot more of that, especially from the political establishment as associating uh, themselves with a, with a social movement that can at times be unruly is probably not the, the, the most political, savvy thing to do. Now, Black Lives Matter uh, started as a slogan, a hashtag. It's now turned into a movement. Where Where is this going? Where do you want it to go? Well, the social movement itself is really beautiful. One of the things that we have is a collective intelligence that is passed on from uh, event to event across the country. Uh, there's national networks of organizers in which we, we really can understand how to support each other and move resources around on the ground. Uh, but where we're going to go with it is to take the movement's agenda off of the grassroots and to push it into the policy world. And so we're not going to ask for a champion of our slate as much as we're going to make the issues so palpable uh, and and so uh, strong with social validity that they cannot be avoided. And so 
uh, one of our missions is to actually create the agenda for 2016 of whoever's going to be elected. Uh, so they're going to have to speak to the movement. They're going to have to speak to the movement's agenda. Let me turn back to Reverend Davis. Um, it, it, these things happen, and it's it's tragic. And uh, at, least, at least here in Utah, often the media turns to you. I think because you and your just in your personal biography have context here with 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 the history. So I'm wondering, what's the message you want to most want to get out here? What 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 needs to be done? What's What's the, what's well, the top the of your list? That I would like uh, for all of us to know is that we've been talking melting pot from uh, as early as far back as our history go, and we haven't gotten there so that there's a melting pot, and I'm not sure that that's where we want to go anyway. Uh, so what we've got to do is figure out how to acknowledge everybody as having worth and value and then uh, join them both in acknowledging that as well as in celebrating those uh, uniquenesses that we have. It is the variety that makes for the spice of life. And when we disregard or disrespect a particular uh, segment of our community or ignore them or consider them invisible, then we are uh, denying all of us the benefit uh, that is possible for each one of us. So that's what I'd like to communicate. And I would hope that our society would decide uh, that we're going to do everything that we can so that everybody is at home. I'll turn back to uh, Jason Gilmore. I wonder if you have uh, another uh, question for, for our guests, or, or uh, in addition to that, a point you'd like to make. Sure. Um, I've, I think one of the, the important things, especially on the, the civil rights trips that we've taken uh, to the South, we do one every year, actually. Uh, there's one twice a year done. Um, one of the issues that we've 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 had a conversation, we've had various meaningful conversations about the Black Lives Matter versus the All Lives Matter. And I think uh, we bring as, as diverse of groups as we can, and that means that we have Mexican-Americans, we've got uh, people from uh, African descent, we've, you know, we've got a, a number of different uh, diverse groups represented. And I think what, what ends up happening is that people uh, think that Black Lives Matter means that is is opposed to All Lives Matter or is opposed to uh, Mexican Lives Matter or is opposed to Indian Lives Matter. Uh, where you just, it's, is there a way that, I guess here's my question, is there a way that we can communicate uh, that each and every one of them is important um, in, in their own rights instead of having to always conflate them into All Lives Matter? Hmm. Well, I think one of the issues is that the recent violence that we've been seeing, both from uh, conflicts with the authorities and with the church, and now the burning of churches, has been about African Americans, about black life, uh, not about all of the other groups. And I know uh, by uh, saying that, we suggest that the other groups are okay, and for the time being, they appear to be. But the deal is is that we've got to find a way to uh, say to young African Americans, the people in church, the people in our communities, that these lives do count, and that we're not going to, as a community, watch, sit by and watch them uh, be wasted. Uh, what do you think, uh, Muhyiddin Dabara? I would say that on the ground level and in our organizing space, uh, we have set up collaborations and allies. And so people like the Dream Defenders are people like the Dream Act of uh, promoters, uh, people that are really uh, organizing on multiple fronts for um, the locally workers, um, for the farm uh, workers, for for people uh, in different spaces and places, we understand the intersectionality of a social movement, and so we don't really, on the ground level, we don't we don't have the same conf, uh, confoundment uh, with with a brand or with mission creep. 
we understand that we're all working together for human rights. And so uh, the front line of the LGBT community and the front line of the the immigration community and the front line of the uh, Black Liberation Front, uh, they're all going towards the same thing. And so we don't need to join each other's ships as much as we need to learn how to collaborate and to share resources, share airtime, uh, march together, show up at each other's rallies, and to really uh, put pressure upon uh, an establishment and a system that, that is moving too slow and upon a culture that is being too unresponsive to the changing demographics of the United States of America. We just have about uh, three minutes left. I want to get final word from everybody. I'll start with uh, Jason Gilmore. What do, what do you think? Um, well, I think that uh, these conversations, obviously the social movement will move forward, uh, but these conversations are, are ones that we need to increasingly have and in a, in a number of diverse forums. Uh, you know, living in Utah, uh, where it's a primarily, or you know, at least a predominantly white state, uh, these are sometimes issues that that people say, well, these aren't issues that we need to talk about. Um, and I would argue that these are issues that we we need to talk about just as importantly, and almost in our own kind of special way, uh, because it is Utah. That these conversations are important and need to be taken forward. Um, so that's that's kind of my piece here. Uh, let me turn next to a final word with to Muhyiddin uh, Nabaka. I wonder, you know, you're you're there, the epicenter of the latest events there in South Carolina, and we're removed by geography by quite a ways here in Utah, but but hopefully not emotionally and and in terms of paying attention to this. What what would you say to us here in in Utah? What how should we respond to this? Well, we have a, a couple of things that we're actually pushing for nationally. Uh, we have a, a, an address to the President of the United States to reconvene the National Church Arson Task Force that President Clinton started in 1996. And so we have petitions out for that, and we're asking folks to pay attention to uh, to, to patterns uh, that have occurred in the past of, of bombings and shootings and, and church burnings and then to start to come together as a community uh, to prevent those kinds of things. And so that's one uh, concrete task. We're also asking for people to go uh, onto Black Lives Matter Charleston on our Facebook page uh, and to pay attention. Uh, we're trying to keep everybody around the nation up to date uh, on what's going on here. Uh, and then lastly, uh, there's a, a, a fund account for the families of Mother Emanuel and, and they need to be supported. And so uh, anybody that can go to the City of Charleston website can find access to that fund account. Uh, on a more abstract level, we're really asking folks to do some self-examination uh, of where uh, the ideas of white supremacy, the attitudes of black inferiority and white supremacy are living within uh, their, their, their mindset and uh, granting them privilege uh, unearned uh, within their social standing, and, and then to utilize that privilege in the struggle for equality. And uh, just a minute left to turn to the Reverend Davis. What uh, what's what are your thoughts here at the end of the program? Well, I'm convinced that until we all decide that injustice to any one group is injustice to all of us, that we're not going to get this problem resolved. So each of us, regardless of where we come from, have to do our best to bring about the positive changes that make us community. And community is uh, what will make uh, us be able to live together. Thank you very much. We've been talking with the Reverend Franz Davis, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Salt Lake City. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And uh, we've talked with uh, Jason uh, Gilmore, uh, prof uh, assistant professor of communication studies at USU. Reached him in Mexico. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we've been talking with Muhyiddin Dabaka, organizer with Black Lives Matter Charleston. Thank you very much. Talk to the people. And uh, again, the, the Facebook page, Black Lives Matter Charleston. You get more information there. Thanks so much for listening today. Utah writer Gina Wickwar. 
The 4th of July is upon us. For the last decade or so here in Logan, we've hosted an Independence Day party in our East Bench backyard, from where we can see the tremendous fireworks shooting high and dazzling above USU's Romney Stadium. This year, we won't be here in our backyard, but in Manhattan. My husband has a scientific meeting there, and I'll go with him, not because I'm well-versed in laser radar science, but because we have two grandchildren growing up in the Big Apple. With great excitement and anticipation, we plan to take them and their parents down to the city's Brooklyn Bridge entrance to watch the tremendous fireworks display over the East River. Our New York son, Chris, listened to our plan and then said, very sadly, you won't even get near the bridge. It'll be a mob scene like Times Square on New Year's Eve. Just watch the fireworks on TV with us. Not to be discouraged, my husband then attacked another way, quickly Googling some alternatives to standing on terra firma to ogle the lighted skies. Aha, he said, I found it. We could go to the top of the Empire State Building and watch from there. No, said Chris again. It's already sold out. Not cowed, Vince said. Or we can watch from the top of the new trade center. Uh Uh-uh, Chris again. It's already full. Vince smiled bravely. Well, I can see we can take the subway to a dock on the west side and climb aboard a sleek, proud, gleaming, white, three-decker, circle-line boat that will glide gracefully around the Isle of Manhattan and perch itself near the Brooklyn Bridge. There we will dine on a scrumptious au-cuisine meal at linen-draped tables while we gracefully take in the multicolored lights bursting over the East River. My eyes flew open. Now, That was the solution. Way to go, said our son into his iPhone. But, my husband cautioned, it won't be free. Not like if we were standing in a throng on the streets near City Hall. My heart sank. How much? 250 a person. Chris groaned. I sputtered. You mean $1,500 for us to huddle on the wet, slippery lower deck of a clunky, grimy boat and get green and seasick eating rubber chicken? No way. Early this Friday morning, we will fly to JFK. That's the part that's probably going to cost us the 1500 bucks. And for that, we don't even get rubber chicken, just a half ounce of peanuts. But it's okay. We're saving tons of money watching the New York City fireworks on TV with our grandkids and their parents. I know it'll be great, but I'll still be thinking of my backyard. This is Gina Wickwar. On the next Humankind. If you don't consciously set a direction for your focus or for an outcome, you will still be focusing and still have outcomes, but they'll be the ones you're inheriting by default from your conditioning and your history. Author David Allen on how our thoughts create self-fulfilling prophecies. Next time on Humankind. Thursday night at 8.30 on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.